is Bloomberg Surveillance. I see economic data improving the United States. I think that's becoming increasingly obvious, but I still think we're going to be growing in the twos somewhere. I would recommend that investors stay defensively postured and cautious. Policymakers, financial markets, and the economic and financial media look to the Fed to solve all the problems, and they're not able to. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Hey, good morning. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keene and Michael McKee. And we are just minutes away from an interview with St. Louis Fed President James Bullard. But first, here's the news you need to know at this hour. The dollar on its longest winning streak in a month as speculation builds that the Federal Reserve is moving closer to raising interest rates. That's weighing on gold, oil and emerging markets this morning. Credit Suisse Group Chief Executive Officer Tijan Tiam says the firm's traders had ramped up holdings of distress debt and other illiquid positions without many senior leaders' knowledge, helping lead to a first-quarter loss in the market's business. He spoke in an interview with Bloomberg Television this morning. U.S. stock index futures are a little changed to lower this morning, and we do check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P e-mini futures are down two points now. Dow e-mini futures down 24, and Nasdaq e-mini futures down three. DAX in Germany up nine-tenths percent. The CAC in Paris is up four-tenths percent, FT100 up a tenth of a percent. In Japan this morning, the Nikkei 225 fell three-tenths percent. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down a quarter percent. Ten-year Treasury up 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.92 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.88 percent. NYMEX crude oil is down 1.8 percent, down 76 cents. It's at $40.69 a barrel. While Brent is down nine-tenths percent, or 38 cents, to $41.42 a barrel. Comex Gold down 2.1% or $26.50 at 12.22 10 an ounce. The euro $1.1170. The yen is at 112.81 and the British pound this morning at $1.4142. Tom and Mike. Welcome to all of our listeners and viewers on Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg.com around the world. We are speaking with James Bullard. He is the president of the St. Louis Fed, considered a centrist on the Fed and somebody who follows the macroeconomic developments very closely. A lot going on in the markets these days as investors try to reprice the idea of Fed rate cuts, uh, rate increases. You went from a four dot uh, four rate increase move in December, Jim, to two at your meeting last week. And yet markets pricing still only one. What is going on? Did, if, if you look at the numbers, uh, at your forecasts, you should be raising rates already. Uh, is the dot plot a mistake? Are, are we confusing people at this point? Well, I've uh, started to wonder about the efficacy of the dot plot on the policy rate part because we're, you know, implicitly giving some kind of forward guidance through that, uh, through that dot plot, and I'm wondering whether that's uh, counterproductive at this point. When we were at zero, and then we'd put out uh, a forecast when we were going to come off zero, that was considered forward guidance, and that was considered helpful. But now that you're off zero and you're projecting these these uh, things out into the, over the next two years, uh, the pace of increases over the next two years, you're still implicitly giving forward guidance. And I'm not sure that uh, I'm really comfortable giving that kind of forward guidance in this environment. In the past, you look at a Greenspan Fed or a Jean-Claude Trichet ECB, they never gave any 
any kind of indication about where uh, rates were going to go. And that, I think, served a purpose because it kept people focused on what is the data really justifying at this point, and it let market expectations move around as the data came in. But now we've got a dot plot that's, you know, got these kind of lines, median uh, lines on it, and I, I'm not quite sure that's really what we want to be doing. The Fed should get rid of it? Well, uh, I've thought myself about uh, unilaterally uh, pulling out. I suppose that wouldn't do much good. Uh, you'd still have a lot of dots there. But, uh, but I do think this is an important issue we have to think about. Uh, what are we really doing with this, uh, with this dot plot? And, that, of course, uh, financial markets have been uh, talking about it a lot, and we have our own communications committee that's talked about it a lot. Well, so. I know Tom wants to ask a question, but let me just quickly ask you, which dot are you? Uh, how, how, how many rate increases do you no, think? I am not revealing year? my dot because I want to get out of the game of, uh, you know, how many rate increases this year. I want it to be meeting by meeting. We're going to react to the data, and we're going to take a reasonable policy that will get inflation back to target and will keep the economy uh, on a good recovery path. This chart is a St. Louis Cardinals odds of getting to October. The blue line is the Boston Red Sox. Jim Bullard, I saw a pickup truck one night back up to the Mississippi River. And under the arch, you threw your textbooks from Indiana University into the Mississippi River. Is any of this in your textbooks? Or to be respectful, is it in the textbooks of Mr. Rosengren and Mr. Lacker and the others? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, central banking was turned upside down in 2008, uh, right about the time I became president of the St. Louis Fed. Which hymnal, never been the same well, which hymnal are you speaking from right now? Uh, we have a very good research staff, and we work on these questions every day. I think we've got a lot of uh, good ideas and, and good theories, but it's certainly not the same world we lived in in the 1990s or the early part of the 2000s. Three of your colleagues, John Williams of San Francisco, Dennis Lockhart of Atlanta, and last night Patrick Harker of Philadelphia, suggested, yes, indeed, we should consider a rate increase in April. Do you think the economy will have developed to the point that April should be considered a live meeting. Would you consider uh, raising rates in April? I think all meetings are live meetings. Uh, Chair Yellen said so. And oh, well, that's I the boilerplate. I'm talking about on, uh, based on the economy. Uh, I think they should all be live meetings. I think uh, it's really hurting us that we've got this kind of alternate meeting thing. Uh, I think we should make all meetings ex ante identical. You should have press conferences every meeting. I've long been an advocate of this. And uh, that will allow the committee to come into a meeting, assess the data, as we should in April, and see where we are. The, the data between December and March was not all that different. It didn't look like we were that far off our path uh, when we got to the March meeting. And so in that sense, I think there was a credible case to be made to move in March. We didn't do it. So now we can look at April and see what the data looks like when we get to April. If the data don't move, then you're saying it would be, a, it would be credible to consider a move in April. Well, we're, we're basically on the same projected path that we set in December, and we're maybe a little bit off that. You could argue about global risk. You could argue GDP growth uh, outlook is maybe a little bit lower, maybe. But you get another strong mm -hmm. jobs reports. Looks like uh, labor markets are improving. You can probably make a case for moving in. Let's talk Rudy Dornbush and Ken Rogoff's great work uh, summarizing what Professor Dornbush did on the word overshoot. 
Right now we see inflation moving higher. We've got core CPI moving up. Mike's mentioned that a number of times. I love the Cleveland CPI. Cleveland is a bank to the east of St. Louis. You may know it. The Cleveland CPI, not the St. Louis uh, CPI, and they're migrating higher. Can you afford an overshoot in inflation? Uh, I think we are going to end up overshooting on inflation. We have that as part of our forecast, and we have for a while. That is what's going to happen. Uh, and if you look at the Dallas Fed trim mean PCE inflation rate year over year, it's 1.9 percent and moving up. So I think all these inflation measures, if you look at them, they're all they're all moving up, and uh, and we probably are going to come over two percent. Uh, by the time we get into 2017. Is that overshooting part of the so-called inflationistas territory, or can you find a constructive inflation, a la Olivier Blanchard's work at the IMF, that can help heal nominal GDP, can create investments through animal spirit? I don't have any problem with overshooting. I found the whole discussion about this issue odd. Uh, if you're at 1.5%, you're missing by a half a percentage point. If you're at 2.1%, you're missing by one-tenth. It's better to be at 2.1 than 1.5. You want to be as close as you can be to your inflation target, mm -hmm. but it's a symmetric target. You can be above or below. There's nothing, no problem with that. So I think we are going to overshoot. I hopefully they'll follow uh, my policy choices and we won't overshoot very much, but uh, I think we will probably overshoot. We are speaking with St. Louis Fed President James Bullard. If you overshoot, is inflation low enough that monetary policy can catch up? The argument has always been that inflation can get ahead of the Fed and accelerate too quickly. I think the odds that we're going to fall behind the curve are, are moving up modestly here. Uh, I do think that labor markets are continuing to improve. We'll be at 4.5% unemployment by the end of the year. Uh, all other measures of labor market performance are very strong, so you will get a Phillips curve effect. Uh, you've got stabilizing oil prices. That's going to help uh, headline inflation come up. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, pretty high uh, increases on average in house prices and other things, so and rents. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we're going to. Sorry. You can catch up, in other words. Yeah, I think I think there. Yeah, falling behind the curve is something that uh, has happened in the past in uh, central banking. But I think uh, we'll be able to handle the situation this time. Is Central is St. Louis the central banker to the world? I mean, we've had a shift here with the last press conference. We speak of Chair Yellen is central banker to the world. But can you state that the collegial group of the FOMC, whether it's Atlanta, Dallas, St. Louis, Boston, you're combined central bankers to the world? Well, the U.S. Central Bank is certainly a world leader. Uh, we do have a major counterparty in the ECB in Europe. The European economy is a similar size to the U.S. economy. Uh, and you've also got rising China, uh, but China has a different – you've also got Japan. Uh, and, but China has a, a different economy, not as much uh, capital flow, uh, a managed exchange rate regime, so they've kind of got a different uh, situation there. One thing we didn't get from this month's Fed meeting is a sense of what it is that you're looking for as a committee. What's the reaction function now? What would make you move if you say overshooting on inflation is not only okay but expected and the jobless rate's going to go down to four and a half percent? What is it that triggers a move if you haven't moved yet? Well, this is a great question, and this is why you should listen to my speech tomorrow, which is I'm going to talk exactly about this. So we made a projection in December. Then we got to March, and if you actually look at the data in March, it wasn't very different from what was projected in uh, December. So why don't we move? 
we must have been thinking of some other kind of data other than uh, what was in the projections. We cited global risks. Uh, I've cited inflation expectations. So there are other things entering to, into the decision other than just the outlook for uh, GDP and inflation. Uh, and I think that is uh, causing some confusion maybe among policymakers uh, ourselves and, and maybe mm -hmm. among financial market participants. Well, the other thing that wasn't in the statement, the balance of risks, is that gone now? Where do you see the risks? Uh, I've never liked the balance of risk statement, frankly. I think, uh, uh, you know, you're talking about a distribution and... Uh, it's a hazy object anyway. So that's what monetary policy is. The growth rate is driven by long-run factors in technology and human capital. And what the U.S. needs is a better medium-term growth strategy. And you need everyone to get on board with that growth strategy. And that's what you need. The can central the bank cannot do, do that. that. Can the next president do that? Or does that come from Congress? Does it come from a junk the condition of technology? definitely could do that. Okay. The... Um, Implication of this neo-fisherian idea is that uh, the sooner rates rise, maybe the better. Our rates, our low rates, zero, uh, close to the zero bound, and QE, etc. All of your extraordinary policies, much of which is still in place, still contributing to growth. Are they still effective? Uh, I think they are uh, still accommodative. I think we're providing a very accommodative policy with our zero interest rates and our big balance sheet. Uh, but I do think you want to be edging closer and closer to some, something of a more normal setting so that you don't get stuck in this zero-rate environment the way Japan did. So you want to edge your way uh, toward a more normal uh, uh, nominal interest rate structure. I think that would get us back to the kind of equilibrium we had in the 80s and 90s. Uh, which was really pretty good, uh, uh, you know, right. good growth economy. Everyone understood what monetary policy was doing. Interest rates moved around in the right way uh, to inform that equilibrium. Mike, so that's we would like to get back to that. Uh, I, I would suggest we should say that Neo Fisherian policy is not the vice chairman of the Fed. Not no, the vice president. I think <laughs> who, was, who was Irving Fisher? Irving Fisher. <laughs> Please, far uh, away. I don't think he's related to Why do the economics of Irving Fisher Fisher, my grandfather's age, I, I'm going to, before Schumpeter, actually. Why does that work now? Yeah, well, I'll spare all your viewers having to read uh, what he wrote. He's a famous economist, but he wrote one thing. Nominal interest rate can be divided into a real interest rate and expected inflation. That's all you need to know. That was uh, very good, Professor. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You've said, uh, James Bullard from the St. Louis Fed is with us. You've said in the past that uh, whatever you think the interest rate should be, given the current economic conditions, we're not there. So if you're looking to get back to more normal, what would normal be? What would be the appropriate setting for the kind of economy that we have now and that you see over the next year or two? Uh, you mean the long-run policy rate? Or? Well, yeah, long-run, of course, depends on where you define medium ending right. and long-run ending. But, yeah, what is our, our star at this point? Um, our star is this real rate thing, so the short-term real rate. Uh, people think it has come down a lot. I doubt that it has come down as much as people think. So I still have our star maybe 2% or, or higher. Uh, and moving, likely to move higher uh, in the future. If you look at other measures, uh, we've got blog posts and stuff on this. Uh, I think the way to think about this is this does not move a lot over, over the short term. It, it moves slowly over time. 
And uh, the idea that it's way down at zero or at a very low value, I don't think, I don't buy that. One of the things that's bothered me, Jim, recently, Mike and I, we literally have a gong in our radio studio when people say this. They humanize the market. The market vigilantes are going out. They're going to get Janet Yellen. They never want to get Jim Bullard. (laughs) It drives me absolutely insane. Bring up the uh, dot chart again, Rachel, if you would. And the basic idea here, folks, is the blue line is wrong, and somehow that blue line is going to migrate higher and join Jim Bullard's estimates. You, with all your work, have a great respect for where that blue line is, the market. Do you assume that it's going to just stay where it is? And you're going to catch up for those well, who are radio. We've, talked, that we've talked about this many times before, and this is not a good situation to have. And we've had it for a couple of years now where the market has been uh, pricing in something more dovish. Really, if you look at that line, more dovish than all the dots out there in 2017 and 2018. So more dovish than the most dovish yeah. committee member. So yeah. that is a huge gap. It's and, a huge uh, gap. And That's I the headline. That will uh, that will have to get reconciled. I've been worried that it will get reconciled in a violent way. I hope that doesn't happen, and cause a lot of uh, a lot of turmoil in financial yeah. markets. But um, I think what will happen is that as inflation starts to come up and we get more credibility that really it is going back to two percent, and in my, in my view, even going over two percent then uh, I think that that blue line will start, will start to come back up. That what's feeding into that blue line is a lot of ideas about central banks can't control inflation, the Fed won't be able to get back to 2%, that inflation will be permanently low, those kinds of ideas. And I think those will go away as inflation rises here during 2016. We're talking with uh, James Bullard of the St. Louis Fed about the dots. You could see it on the Bloomberg terminal, dots go, and how the Fed's forecast for interest rates, if you read it into the dot chart, is much higher, uh, the blue line being the market expectations that we're talking about. Which leads me to this. Your former colleague from the Minneapolis Fed, Nariana Kocha-Lakota, writing for Bloomberg View yesterday, suggested the Fed has a credibility problem. Promises to be gradual might have to be jettisoned if inflation picks up, as you suggest it will. Promises to raise rates might have to be dropped if the economy slows. Here's what he wrote. Officials must recognize that their expectations for the economy, like all forecasts, are likely to prove wrong. As a result, they should be much clearer about their willingness to make large and rapid changes in monetary policy. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I know Nariana very well. We talk a lot. So uh, the, the key word there is promises. The key word there is promises. Is the SEP, the median SEP, some That's kind of promise? That's the Fed's promise, forecast, the, the Fed's summary forecast. of economic projections. Is that some kind of promise about what's going to happen? And uh, Cherry Ellen says absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's a conditional thing that depends on how the economy uh, develops. But I think it could be misinterpreted as a uh, some kind of promise or some kind of forward guidance. That's why I'm getting increasingly concerned about what are we doing with these uh, with these mm-hmm. uh, policy projections, and is it really having the effect that we, you know, intended to have, where it's just kind of gentle guidance about what might happen in the future, as opposed to. Uh, a commitment to uh, how the how the Fed will behave in the future. Yep. The committee does not want it to be a commitment, certainly not at this juncture. And uh, nevertheless, you could see why markets might interpret it that way. So he's saying we got to be better about showing how state contingent we can be and that we will move around with the data. Only about 30 seconds left, but i got to quickly ask you about the latter half of uh, Mr. Coach Lakota's uh, statement, the, the idea that we might see the economy slow significantly and the Fed have to react. What, what are the odds of that? 
that's certainly not a base case. Uh, you can always get hit by a big shock, and something bad can happen. That's the world we right. live in, and maybe that will happen. But uh, but that's not the base case. I think we'll get uh, slow but good growth in 2016. James Bullard from the St. Louis Fed, thank you very much for joining us. Maybe suggesting getting rid of the dot plot, uh, and uh, interest rates are going to have to rise if inflation rises and growth continues to improve. Always great to see you guys. Right, Go thank Cardinals. You. Thank you. <laughs> we didn't even get to ask you about Cardinals clubs, I presume. String, think... string baseball yeah, right. right now. <laughs> All right. Thank you. This is Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg.com. 925 on Wall Street. You're listening to Bloomberg Surveillance. Still ahead, we'll talk to David William Burson, Senior Vice President, Chief Economist at Nationwide Insurance. S&P Futures, six points lower.